0: Um, we're going to continue uh, in our series. And I just want to ask, do you guys remember something significant about the date December 21st, 2012? Do you remember that date? It was a significant day, right? Some of you remember, some of you don't remember. Uh, this date marked the end of the Mayan calendar. For those of you who, uh, who don't remember, it marked the end of the Mayan calendar. And for many people... They, th- this led them to sort of like plan for the end of the world, right? And, and okay, we're going we're gonna to decide that, well, the, the end of the world is coming because of the Mayan calendar. And so a bunch of people spent a whole bunch of time planning for the end of the world, but January 2013 happened, and the world was still in existence. And it was learned later on that December 21st, 2012 was really just the end of a regular year in the Mayan calendar that it actually continued beyond that and that it was not a doomsday thing. It was a case of misunderstanding. Uh, In the late 1990s, NASA uh, launched a space mission called the Mars Climate Orbiter. Anybody remember the Mars Climate Orbiter? Late 90s? Some of you weren't even born then. Um, (laughs) The Mars Climate Orbiter, this uh, vehicle was going to go study Martian climate and atmospheric composition of Mars and so uh, they, they launched this, uh, this orbiter and sometime after the orbiter got going, they lost contact with the orbiter and uh, as they further discovered as after, after they investigated, they found that the computer system on the ground, some of you science folks will appreciate this, was using the standard pound seconds while the orbiter was using the metric Newton seconds. Uh, this caused the orbiter to enter the atmosphere too low And it disintegrated on the way in. It was a cause, a case of miscommunication that had disastrous results. Thankfully, nobody lost their life in the process. There's so many instances, right, where misunderstanding and uh, misinterpretation and miscommunication can happen. And sometimes it happens with relatively little impact, right? Like sometimes it just really doesn't make that big of a difference that we miscommunicated, we just fix it and no big deal. But sometimes there's there's di- disastrous results, much like the uh, the, the orbiter or, or, you know, thinking of 1977, the Canary Islands, most of you won't remember that, but anyway, there were two 747s that went to, uh, that were stuck in the fog on the runway, and uh, one turned around and, went to take off out of the fog not knowing that the other one was sitting on the runway and the biggest aviation disaster in history happened miscommunication sometimes there's disastrous results of miscommunication and misinterpretation but often the impact is kind of in between right like a lot of times miscommunication you know it's just sort of like oh well you know we fixed it you know we're no worse for the wear we've been in this series for a number of weeks that we're calling God I have a question and We're looking at questions that people both outside and inside the church have. And today, we're going to look at a question that can often be traced back to places where misunderstanding and misinterpretation and miscommunication happen in Scripture. Today, we're looking at the question, doesn't the Bible oppress women? This communication and interpretation issue is not... uh, has often led not just to disagreement between people, but throughout church history, it's had damaging implications. I would imagine there's a number of you women in this room who have experienced sort of hardship or, or mistreatment because of the way Scripture has been interpreted about women. Likely, there's women in this, this room who have been labeled as prideful because you've pursued your calling, Because, well, see, we read Scripture this way and women are supposed to sit down. Maybe you've been challenged, had your calling questioned by male leaders. And as we get started in this question, though, we need to understand that among Christian people, there's a difference in interpretation. There's a difference. Bible-believing followers of Jesus who are wholly devoted to the Lord and wholly devoted to the kingdom disagree. On interpretation of this. And so there's two, sort of boils down to two perspectives. One is a complementarian view, one is an egalitarian view. And the complementarian view is generally that there's a hierarchy built into the fabric of creation, right? That God created the world such that men had authority over women. And this is sort of the complementarian view, that men have authority over women and that this is seeded into the fabric of all creation. The egalitarian view says that men and women are created equal and that the Bible doesn't exactly set up an authority structure, men over women. And like beliefs do, these perspectives tend to take shape in very different ways. If you think about like a decision you've made as far as belief as you work that out over the course of your life, it has implications, right? And so if we take this sort of interpretations of Scripture and we say, well, this is what we believe, if you work that up out over thousands of years of church history, there are implications. And inside the church, complementarians tend to restrict certain roles like preaching and senior church leadership strictly to men. Egalitarian selects people for roles within the church Without respect to gender, but solely gifting character and calling. Do you see how this could be an issue? If you haven't experienced this personally, do you see how this could be a problem? And here's the crazy part of this whole debate, is that Bible-believing Christians take the book and prove their case out of the same book. So before we dig in, we need to begin by understanding that it's a sensitive topic that needs to be handled with honesty, respect, and kindness. As so many of the things that we talk about in this series, we need to approach it with humility, honesty, respect, kindness. That these are the ways that we approach question questionable topics, right? As I said at the very, very, very beginning, some of you, this may fire you up a little bit. Can I ask for the sake of the next 30 minutes that you manage your anxiety and hear what I have to say? And you can decide in the parking lot when you don't see me whether or not you agree. Okay? Oftentimes, the disagreement begins way back in Genesis 2 where the Bible says that woman was created as a helper for man. But I would say that we need to begin our discussion about whether or not the Bible oppresses women a little bit earlier in Scripture than that. If we go back to Genesis 1, here's what we see. Verse 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, Over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. And what Scripture sets up in these verses is that the role of humanity is to rule over all creation, and there's no hierarchy created. Male and female, they're going to work together, and they're going to team rule all of creation. And if we take this as sort of like the 35,000-foot view, I speak in airplane terms for obvious reasons that are not obvious to some of you who don't know me. I fly airplanes. Um, I guess I have to say that. I don't wear pilot stuff to, to, to church. Um, not usually, at least. Uh, so if we take this as a 35,000-foot view... And then we move into Genesis 2 and we zoom into a much narrower view of creation of humanity. And here's what it says. It says, The man Adam was created. And in verse 18, we read this. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now what happens right here is that people read this and say, well, man was created first, so he's in charge. He has the authority. Woman was created as a helper, so she is under his authority. And that's the way a lot of times Scripture gets read. But the strange thing is if you dig in and you look at what the original Hebrew word in for helper is the word ezer. The word Azer is a word that gets used throughout the Old Testament to refer to, to places where people receive help. Frequently, God is called Azer, the helper. Would you ever say that God is subordinate to man because he's a helper? We wouldn't say that. And yet, for some reason, we say, well, when the words used of woman, she is she's subject to man, and that's how this works. For example, we look at Psalm 33, we read this. We wait and hope for the Lord, for He is our help, Azer, and our shield. And there's no sense in which we would say, well, you know, God is sort of under man's authority now because He's helping, right? We wouldn't say that. Because we recognize that just because one is a helper does not mean you are subject to someone else. But by Genesis 3, of course, Everything goes sideways. If you don't know the story, you should read it. It's about a page and a half. Uh, You know the story. Adam and Eve disobey God by eating from the tree they were not supposed to. In response, God says this in verse 16. To the woman, He said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So after sin shows up, in creation, all of a sudden, out of this curse, we sort of see a, uh, begin to see a hierarchy, right? That man's going to rule over woman and that woman, is gonna, her desire will be for her husband. And now we've got a, a hierarchy created. And it's a consequence of sin and brokenness. That this is not inherent in the creation. This is what happens when sin enters creation. is that people begin to rule over others. And what we see in Genesis 3 is that because of sin, the seeds have been sown to contribute to the oppression of women. Many people have said, well, Scripture or religion oppresses women. And I think a lot of times that's founded. But the question really is, is it God, is it the Bible, or is it humanity acting in a fallen way? I think that's the question here. It's not how things are created, it's because of the sinfulness of humanity that women are cheated, women are raped, lied to, marginalized, and mistreated. As you read through Genesis, you just see all of this stuff. It's fallenness. It's not because it's inherent in creation. For all of you women who have been abused and marginalized and mistreated, the Bible agrees loudly with you is that it's not supposed to be this way. That this is not what God created for you. Does the Bible oppress women? No. People oppress women. But God promises to do something about it. One of the main disagreements between those who hold a complementarian viewpoint and those who hold an egalitarian viewpoint is where hierarchy begins and how far-reaching it is. We would say... We could say that because we live after Genesis 3, the curse of hierarchy is alive. But here's the thing. We who know, love, and follow Jesus have experienced a radical transformation. Have we not? The kingdom of God has broken into the present that we've been claimed, and we are now people of the kingdom the kingdom that is making all things new again, that is setting all things back to right, that by the end of all things, it will be put back the way that it was intended to be. Shouldn't that change something? Shouldn't that change something about how we approach relationship? I mean, we would say that it changes something about how we're supposed to reconcile with people. We would say that it changes something about healing and about what God intends to do with deliverance. And we would say that it changes things about what God intends to do with the destiny of all people, shouldn't it change this as well? Should it not touch that? Didn't Jesus' entry into the world and His life, death, and resurrection change the way things worked? Or did it? For centuries, women were treated like possessions and second-class citizens, and then Jesus shows up and some strange counter-cultural things happen. Like Jesus starts hanging out with women that he shouldn't hang out with. John 4, he's alone with a Samaritan woman teaching her about worship, which was deeply offensive as a, uh, to Jewish custom. And then she becomes, interestingly enough, the first evangelist, right? If you read John 4, we won't go there. She goes in and says, come meet this guy that told me everything I ever did. She's telling people about Jesus. He's not even supposed to be hanging out with her. Luke ten thirty nine. Jesus has a woman named Mary sitting at his feet, being taught by him. This would be the position of a disciple. This is someone who's learning Torah. You're not supposed to teach Torah to a woman because it's a waste. That's the Jewish belief. And yet Jesus lets her sit, sit there and teaches her. All over the gospel accounts, Jesus has women as part of his ministry traveling group. At the foot of the cross where he was crucified, Jesus had women. And interestingly enough, after he was raised to life, the first witness to the resurrection is women. If you had everything at your disposal, why would you do that? But that everything had been changed. Something about the way things work in the world was changed with Jesus. It's as if he himself broke the curse of Genesis 3. And so if you agree with me, that hierarchy shows up, not in creation, but in the fall, then Jesus, who is undoing all of the brokenness of the world, is also undoing that hierarchy. Again, take that to the parking lot. Think about it when I'm not there. So what's the problem? Like if all of this is sorted out, if this is all figured out, why do we still have disagreement among believers? Like some of the people who have fought me the hardest, I I mean I love talking about this stuff, and I told Tyler, um, I mean we've had this conversation, I don't know how many times, but every time I get up to preach this, I don't just go, well I know what all the arguments are. I go back through again. And say, is this true or is this not true? And so I was up way too late last night. Way too late. Like, I'm up late on Saturday nights, but it was like 4 o'clock. I was up, I mean, just digging, through, I mean, stuff I'm not even going to talk to you about, but reading through. Like, is this true or is this not true? Some of the people who have fought me the hardest, so I love talking about this. Some of the people who have fought me the hardest are followers of Jesus. Are Christians. Are women. Like I had someone say, I want you to come to my house and we're going to have a conversation and we're just going to let the Bible speak and we began to have a conversation and I realized that she just wanted to put me back in her egalitarian box or her complementarian box. And I was like, huh, seems to me you would be the one fighting the other way. So why do we have disagreement? Why is this the case? Well, if you're not aware there's a couple places in the New Testament that seem to say that women need to sit down and be quiet. Right? And I don't have time to go through all of them, so we're going to go through the most blatant one and take a look at it and see what it says. 1 Timothy 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can underline it. Um, Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy in Ephesus, and he says this, beginning in verse 11. He says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission... I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. I mean, this is Paul talking here. You know, and if you're like a, a reformed person, like Paul's, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. that <laughs> this happens regularly. Paul's pretty up there, right? Like we might like, the writings of Paul are pretty, pretty important, right? With these verses in hand, so many Christians close the case and say, well, women are, not, women are not allowed to teach. They're not allowed to lead. They're not allowed to lead men for sure. I don't know why we allow them to teach our men when they're kids. I'm not exactly sure in Scripture where that turns the corner, where, you know, is it like 10 or 12 where they can't. I'm not really sure. I'm trying to figure that part out. I've been trying to figure it out for a while. Uh, and perhaps some of you have experienced that, right? Like some of you have been told to sit down that even though you sense a calling from God to speak, you sense a calling from God to lead, that you are prideful, that, that God has not called you to do such things. This is just you trying to work out of your flesh. I, I, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever sat under a really, really, really gifted female preacher has anybody ever I mean you know you've got the the like you've got like the Beth Moores and the you know I mean like but I'm most of us don't know those people I, When we lived in Columbus there was this lady her name was Tammy her name still is Tammy it didn't change <laughs> and I, I was in a spot where I didn't really know what I thought about this and I went to this church that I was interning at and they gave her the microphone to speak and I sat here and I was just sort of like "Ah, gosh I don't really know and then she began to preach and God just smacked me across the face several times and I was forced to deal with what do you do when a woman is called and it's very evident that she's operating in the way that she's been gifted do you call her prideful or do you fall on your face before Jesus and repent What do you do with that before we dig this passage up though and before we unpack this i want just to look at a couple other places for for paul paul likes to say a lot of things Um, galatians 3 beginning verse 26 paul says this so in christ jesus you are all children of god through faith for all of you who are baptized into christ have clothed yourselves with christ There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's not exactly a distinction made there, right? Like all the distinctions, all the the separations that we've said, well, women can only do this and men can only do this. Well, Paul says, now because of Jesus, that's no longer the case, that you are all one in Christ now. That's just Paul. Romans 16, how about this? Look at Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. He says, this is Paul again, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in a town that starts with a C. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy to his, of His people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Th- this woman, Phoebe, is the woman that Paul handed the letter that he wrote to the Romans explained to her and instructed her in the, what she's supposed to say with this letter when she gets there and says, now, the U.S. Postal Service will come in a couple thousand years. You're going to deliver this letter, though, to the churches in Rome. And she goes, and the way you would deliver a letter like that is you would read it and answer all the questions and explain what Paul was trying to get at. And so you have Paul handing a letter to a woman, sending her to the churches in Rome, and saying, hey, would you expound upon my letter to the churches in Rome so they understand what I'm saying? Sounds to me like preaching, teaching, call it what you want. And certainly this is like there's men and women in these churches. It's not like, you know, just the women's ministry. Like the letter of the Romans was not just written to the women in the church. So this is Paul you hear what I'm saying? Paul, the same guy who says, I don't permit a woman to teach, is now saying, here's this letter. Go teach it. Or scroll down a little bit further. Scroll down if you have it on your phone. Verse 3. Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is a woman. She's listed first, presumably because she's sort of the out front person in this couple. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Paul greets these people, and he sa- if you look through Acts, Priscilla teaches the gospel in its entirety to uh, Apollos, which, I mean, if, you, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll, you'll see his name. So she teaches Apollos the more full gospel. woman teaching a man, just wanted to put that out there. One more. Verse 7. It says, Greet Andronicus and Junia. Junia is a woman, Andronicus is her husband. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. So she's been in prison. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Paul greets these people. And he says, Junia, this woman, she's outstanding among the apostles. Apostles teach. Apostles preach, they don't, it's not like she just kind of wanders around and isn't also ran. It says they are outstanding among the apostles. Again, this is Paul saying, this woman who's teaching men, greet her, she's awesome. In fact, if you look through Romans, many of the people that Paul greets are women who are co-laborers in the Lord, is the way he says it. So here's my question to you. Paul, in First Timothy two, says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Is Paul a hypocrite? Like is Paul like is Paul like the parent who, with a cigarette hanging out of their mouth, tells the kids, "Don't smoke. It's bad for you." Is Paul a hypocrite? Or is it possible that something else is happening here? Is it possible that Paul writes a letter to Timothy and says, based on what's happening where you are, don't let the women teach? Is it possible? seems possible to me. Either that or you have to reconcile this idea that Paul, who wrote a significant portion of the New Testament, is a liar. You can walk down that road if you want. What which, which you have to realize is that 1 Timothy is a letter written to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was like sort of the headquarters of the goddess, the pagan goddess Artemis. Artemis worship, if you, if you actually look uh, when, in, in Ephesians, when Paul was there, he basically made a mess because he advocated a different god, and all the people who uh, were selling these statues of this goddess Artemis, We're kind of like going out of business. And it's like, hey, this guy's really putting a dent in the bottom line. we got to do something about this Paul guy because, you know, we're trying to sell these statues and nobody wants them anymore. They just want to follow this Jesus guy. So Paul disappears. Timothy stays. Timothy is now the pastor of the churches in Ephesus. And these women who were worshiping this goddess Artemis begin to follow Jesus. And as they begin to follow Jesus, they bring in the stuff from their Artemis worship and they begin to, what, what uh, Paul says, assume authority over the men in the, in the congregation. So he says, I don't permit a woman to teach. I don't, she's not to assume authority. Everywhere else that, that Paul talks about authority, he doesn't use this word. There's a certain aggressive assumption of authority over a man. It's not that Paul's saying you can't, women can't teach. There's certainly not a place, there, there certainly is a place where Paul allows for women to grow as followers of Jesus and grow into leadership. But what he's saying is if they're going to learn, they've got to learn this way. We're not going to allow false teaching into the house churches. There's one other place, and I don't have time to unpack it. I almost put it on there, but we could talk about it later. In the parking lot. <laughs> the same kind of thing is happening in 1 Corinthians, and we can talk about that another, another time. But the same thing, Paul says they need, to be, they need to be silent. Well, hold on, Paul. You say they need to be silent, but then in all these other places you say you commend women for teaching and you sort of set them up to do it. What are you supposed to do with that? And here's the thing. Paul is writing a letter addressed to a specific place. I think your other option is to decide that Paul is a liar, and then you've got to figure out what part of the Bible you're going to get rid of. Seems to me that the choice that we have is to decide that that's what's happening. Nowhere in Scripture do we find a really clear, once and for all, women are not allowed to teach. And for some of you, this may be a liberating moment. That for some of you, you've lived a life where God has invited you in to be a powerful voice for the gospel. And maybe you have been told, no, that's prideful, you can't do that. I'm here to tell you, you can do that. That the way we would choose someone who's going to speak, who's going to preach, who's going to teach, is not by the gender that you are, there's not like a male Holy Spirit and a female Holy Spirit. It's not like you sort of like, you know, you get the female one that has no speaking gifts. There is one Holy Spirit given. The way we select people who are going to speak, who are going to be leaders, is based on gifting, calling, and character. And I think I can make a fairly decent argument that that's the way that the New Testament church is intended to be set up.